Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life. And I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, Hang on one second. I said that, and then I need to write this down. Alrighty, alrighty, we're going to be in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, if you want to go ahead and open up there, Hebrews chapter 3. Y'all making it okay this week so far? We've had, um, I know Phoenix City has had uh, one of their longtime members pass away this past week. Um, What was her last name? Bussy. And then um, Maxine Macon's father, our brother-in-law uh, passed away this week as well. So we need to keep both of them in our prayers. And we'll add some more um, during the devotional time. So Hebrews chapter 3. <clears throat> so what have we talked about so far in the book of Hebrews? Jesus is better than angels. He's better than mankind, right? Because... The argument in Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 is that mankind is better than the angels and Jesus is better than us. Why does he start talking about angels first? What, what's the big deal about talking about angels? Why does he pick that as the first one? Do what? Yeah, that, that, that was... He kind of used something that was softer, right? If he goes in straight into talking about how Jesus is better than the temple, how well did that work out for Jesus when he was on earth and he said that in three days I'll tear down this temple? That's why they killed him, right? So he starts talking about something that's a little softer than uh, the main focus of the book. And also, they had come to misunderstand what angels were, right? They thought of them as some kind of godlike creatures, And so chapters 1 and 2, that's what he focuses on. Now chapter 3, he changes subjects and he's going to start talking about Moses. It's also interesting that the Hebrews writer is not trying to say that Jesus is better than the patriarchal period, right? Why? Why Why is he focusing on the law of Moses and not the patriarchal period? Well, it's been 1,500 years since the patriarchal period went away, right? And there wasn't a problem with Jews following that law anymore. But now they had a problem with Christians following the Jewish law, the law of Moses. And so he doesn't really focus in on the patriarchal period, except angels were pretty prevalent, right? They were pretty active during the patriarchal period. So it kind of brings into it a little bit. And then chapter 3, he's going to start talking about Moses and next week, when we get to verse 7 of chapter 3, um, he's going to focus in on a not an, uh, how do I want to put that? Not, not a, it's an argument, but it's, it's not theology. It's more of like a moral teaching, okay? So this time, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, He's really going to hit some, some 
theology here, and there's not, there's not a ton in these passages. Most people skip over this, but I wanted to kind of nail down on it because I think it's pretty important when you look at just the overall theme of chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So let's read the passage. Ready? Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ has, is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. Alright, so Hebrews chapter 3. Who does he start off talking to? I mean, it's the same group he's been talking to the entire book so far and the entire book for the rest of it. But what does he call his readers there in chapter 3 verse 1? Holy brethren. You may have a translation that says holy brothers and sisters. It's, it's just brethren. Or if you're from Arab, brethren. Therefore, holy brothers or brethren, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Why do you think if, um, if he's going to talk about Moses, if he's about to talk about Moses, how important was Moses to the Jewish mind? Right. I mean, he's the giver of their law, right? He's the giver of their law. So if he's going to start talking about that, he starts reminding them, he starts by reminding them that they're on the same page. This, is, this isn't a book where he's attacking them. Like 1 Corinthians, he attacks them for false doctrine. He still calls them brethren over and over and over again, but it's, it's a forceful book. This book's not forceful. It's, it's gentle. He's not trying to rebuke them as much as he is encourage them, right? Because remember, we're studying this book as if, uh, it, under the idea that it's written to Jews who live in Caesarea Philippi. Okay? And in that city is also the place where Paul was imprisoned, right? Wait, waiting on Felix. He stayed there for two years. The book of Acts just kind of skips over it. But he's been there in this city for two years. And this book is written back to them. So they've seen persecution. They've seen these things. They're not in it right now. But this, this idea that he mentions in chapter 3, verse 1, of this heavenly calling. Um, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse number 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Somebody read verses 1 through 7 for me. Kind of a longer reading. Hebrews 1, or Hebrews 4, 1 through 7. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 1 through 7.
All right, so he says, chapter 4, verse 1, that he wants them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And then how does he say you do that? How do you walk in a manner worthy of your calling? Now, when we think of that, what do we think of? First off, what is your calling? As a Christian, what's your calling? Right, your, your vocation, right? Yeah, vacations like going to Bahamas, right? You don't get a vacation from Christianity. It's your vocation, right? Your vocation. Your calling is your obligation, right? We have an obligation. That's why, um, that's why it says that Christians are called. Now, does, is he talking about you're called in some sort of audible sense? That God calls you? No. We're all called to be Christians, right? And then if you're a Christian, you're called to follow Him, right? And then there are, there are instances where you could say a person is called if they have um, a certain personality type or something, something like that. They have an obligation, right? Um, if you have someone who is, who is gentle and loving and, and has a good bedside manner, then you could say they're called to be more benevolent in their actions, right? If you have someone who's very good at particulars and uh, memorization and that sort of thing, you may say that they're called for teaching or called for preaching or something like that, right? So, this calling that he's talking about in Ephesians 4 is just the general calling of being a Christian, okay? Yeah, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. How does he say you do that? Your general calling to be a Christian, how do you live up to that? How do you walk worthy of it? What's the rest of that passage say? What's, first off, what's the passage talking about? Obedience and unity, right? You obey the gospel and you're unified with your brethren, right? And so that's how you walk worthy of your calling. You you have gentleness, humility, and patience. But also you understand that there's one body and one spirit and you're called in one hope of your calling. That sort of thing. So now back to Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. So this general heavenly calling of being a Christian. This, this responsibility or obligation, if you want to say that, of being a Christian. Consider Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 14 says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God. How is the calling, like in Hebrews 3, it says you have a heavenly calling. In Philippians 3, it says it's an upward calling. What does that mean? What does it mean for our calling as Christians to be heavenly or upward? Yeah, we're focusing on something above us, right? Bigger than us, right? Yeah, so if he's talking about being unified and, and following the commands, and then he says this heavenly calling, there's our responsibility as Christians to be faithful and be unified in the church is something that's bigger than just some sort of obligation to other people, right? So... When uh, 
when there's wrong done by, by a Christian to another Christian, like in Matthew 18 talks about it. What's the point of going to that brother and fixing that problem? And if they don't listen, then you take someone else. If they don't listen, you can take it to the church and so forth. What's people don't fight? Now, you might not have been aware, right? But what's the overall, what's the reason we do that? You want to be here and back because, because our calling is upward, right? We're focused on something bigger than just, we're not focusing on just so that you can get your money back if they stole money from you or something like that, right? You're focusing on the church and the better, the, the bettering of the church and the, the best future for the church, right? All right, so he says, you who partake in this heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. This is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus is called an apostle. What's an apostle? When you think about the apostles, what do you think of? Someone who follows Christ? All right, if you think about, think about the New Testament, and I say the apostles, what people come to mind? The 13, right? Yeah. Um, well, the, the 12, and then the, and then the 13, and then really the 14, because you had, you know, you got the 12, and then Judas is gone, so you get Matthias, and then Paul is added, so you have 13, but if you count Judas, it's 14, right? It's confusing. And then even after Paul, they're still called the 12. Anyways. It's like the Big Ten football. You just name it by the number. You understand there's more in there than that. All right, so the word apostle in the New Testament is something that gets a lot of misunderstanding because when we say apostle, we think about the the 12, right? The people who had seen Christ. What were the other um, requirements of an apostle? Seen Christ, what else? Seen the risen Christ, right? Learned from him, right? And not only that, there were a lot of people who had seen the risen Christ, right? First Corinthians 15 says that there's over 500 brethren at one time that see him. But there's only 13 apostles in the New Testament. So it's not just that you see the risen Christ. What other thing is it? What happened to Paul on the road to Damascus? He saw the risen Christ, but what all was an apostle, Right? He was told, you're going to go into Damascus, you're going to sit there and pray, and when Ananias comes and baptizes you, then what did Paul do after Ananias baptized him? He went, where did he go? He went to the desert for how long? Three years. Why do you think he spent three years in the desert? How long did the other apostles spend with Jesus? Three years, right. So it's not just that you had seen the risen Christ, it's that you had seen him, you had learned from him, and you were called to be an apostle. Now, if that's the case, you go to the book of Acts, and you have Barnabas being called an apostle, being ascribed the name apostle. Why is that? Barnabas, as far as we can tell, didn't see the risen Christ, didn't spend some time learning from him, wasn't called to be one of the twelve. Why was Barnabas called an apostle in the book of Acts? Because the word just do what? 
Yeah, he was in the broader sense. The word means someone who's sent. Okay? So, the apostles, the twelve apostles, are sent by Christ to be apostles. Right? Barnabas is sent not by Christ to be an apostle. Who was he sent by? The church at Antioch. Right? The church at Antioch said, we want you to go with Paul on this missionary journey. And so he did. So he's an apostle, quote-unquote. Now, Jesus, like I said, this is the only time that he is said to be an apostle. How was he sent? Remember what he just got done talking about in chapter 2? No, Jesus. How was Jesus sent? Think about this. Look back at chapter 2, verse number 13. Sorry, verse number 17. Chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then one verse later, he calls himself, he calls Jesus an apostle. So what, what's the context? Jesus was sent to be the propitiation by what? By suffering, Right? That's how he became the propitiation. That's what the, Jesus was sent to die on the cross, right? Okay. Did Moses ever suffer for the people in the Old Testament? How? Right? Right, and he had to grow up without his without his people, and then he had to leave and live for forty more years without his people, even farther away from his people. Right? Yeah, Moses suffered a lot. Right, and that's the point. He's 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 tying the bridge between Jesus and Moses, and so he calls him a, an apostle. In fact, in Exodus chapter three, um, when Moses is going back to the to the Pharaoh. And saying, let my people go. And then he says, no, and plagues and all that stuff. There's, let me see how many times. I, at least four, I think five times, that he's, he has said he was sent. He doesn't call himself an apostle because that's a Greek word. And he's not speaking Greek back then, right? But he was sent. So he's, he's tying these, these lines between Moses and and Jesus. And then he says, and the high priest of our confession. So he's not just the person who's sent, but he's also the high priest, which he's going to talk about the high priesthood later on in the book. But verse number two. So he's still talking about Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. What is glory? Because in verse number 3, he says Jesus is more uh, worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. He uses a different word. What is glory? Acclaim, right? Um, the, the, the word originally meant something like heaviness in the Old Testament. The glory of God. If you saw the glory of God, you saw the the heaviness, you felt the heaviness of God. 
So, it's a claim. Have you ever met someone, just a celebrity, or that you just, when, when you were around them, you felt like this person is like a, this person's special, right? Maybe not, you know, definitely not like God, right? But definitely this person is, this person's special, right? You just meet them and you feel that. That's the idea of glory. Now, with Jesus and with the, the glory of God in the Old Testament, the, the word is even more so, right? But it, it means a heaviness. It's, it's, so, he says, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory or heaviness or honor than Moses. And in fact, the, the word used there means something. It, it has this idea of like supernatural, okay? Did Moses ever perform miracles? What were some of them? Uh, the staff, throw the staff down, pick it up, put your hand in your pocket or in your jacket, pull it out. What else? Water in the blood, the water from the rocks. Um, what else? Part of the Red Sea. Uh, held his hands up and somehow the army's winning and then when he lets his hands down, the army's not winning anymore. Yeah. And everyone starts getting bitten by snakes. What does Moses instruct Aaron to do? Make a bronze serpent, right? Yeah. Make a bronze snake, stick it on a pole and let everybody look at it. I think that's a good miracle. Yeah, he was. I know it. Mm-hmm. And they held him accountable, right? When, when there's, when two Israelites get in a fight, who'd they go to Moses about it? They, who'd they go to Moses? Right. Until, until Jethro said, are you insane? You need some helpers here, right? You need to delegate a little more. All right, so anyways. So Jesus has been counted of more supernatural these miracles, but Jesus has the trump card. No pun intended. What's the trump card? The miracle of, a miracle of all miracles. The resurrection, right. The resurrection. He's been counted of more glory than Moses because even though Moses did all of these miracles and, and led the people and suffered for the people, Jesus died and was resurrected. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. All right, what's the best house you've ever seen? The nicest, fanciest house you've ever seen? The Biltmore? The one I have? You ain't been to my house lately. Uh, <laughs> Gus's house? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know we got to give you a hard time. The Biltmore? Um, the White House is pretty fancy. Uh, it, I, I've never been to the Biltmore, but White House is pretty fancy. Um, the house can be honor. I mean, he says, the house has honor. What's the house he's talking about? 
Moses is faithful in all God's house. Jesus is faithful in all God's house. What's the house? What's the house of God right now? The church? What's the house of God in the Old Testament? The temple and tabernacle slash temple. Right. And the people, right? The, 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 The congregation of Israel is the household of God. New Testament, the church is the household of God. It's amazing to see a house that's built that's beautiful and has all these ornate things and all that stuff like um, like the White House or Biltmore or something like that. But then you start thinking about like our Fishers of Men homework. Then you start thinking about this house is here. Why? Because someone built it. Someone had the ability to build this. So he started the book talking about how mankind is better than angels and Jesus is better than mankind. Then he says that the house that Jesus built is great. The house that Moses built is great. He's he's building this up and he's he's kind of starting and saying the Old Testament was amazing, right? You ever heard anybody say, well, there's there's a brother in Christ who said in a in a debate one time, the problem with the Old Testament is that we just can't follow it. That it's just not good enough. The Old Testament was perfect for what it needed to do, right? It, it had honor. It had, it had a person who built it, and it had the honor of God. Now, in the New Testament, the church is even more so. What's better about the church? It didn't have salvation. It only included... A few. Didn't just include the Israelites. We talked about that the other week, right? But, but it, those were the chosen people. Right. right. Now in the New Testament, the church includes everyone. We have salvation. It's not just in one location. It's not just a physical, earthly kingdom. So then, verse number 4... Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. That's just kind of this parenthetical phrase that he adds in there. It's just just understood as true, right? The builder of all things is God. Now verse number 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house. So what's the difference that he says there? Moses is what in God's house? A servant. But Jesus is what in God's house? Over. Right. He's the master of the house, right? Yeah. Right. So he's not, he's not denigrating Moses at all, is he? Not at all. He's just saying Moses had a place and Jesus' place is even more so. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Now, okay, for just a second, I want to get into a little bit of the weeds here. Somebody read the verse number five in something other than the English Standard Version. Maybe King James, New King James, something like that.
for a testimony. Okay. The ESV has to testify. What is testify? A verb, right? The word is not a verb in the Greek. It's a noun. So King James says, for a testimony, right? What is a testimony? It's an account. If you're called to testify in court, I I was talking to a foster parent the other day, and uh, I was telling them how we usually work things. We take notes at visits. We do this, we do that, we do this. And I said, now, if you're that calculated, you will be called to testify in court. And she said, well, I don't want to be that calculated then, because I don't want to testify in court. I thought, well, I don't either. But anyways, what does it mean to testify in court? You give your account of what happened, right? To bear witness. First-hand account. Not necessarily, because there's also things called hearsay witnesses, which are amenable in almost every state of the U.S. Anyways, so that's where I'm going. So Moses is called for a testimony. And a testimony is to give someone's account. Okay? The word for there is ace. It's ace. You might not know what that means. It's the same word. Somebody read Acts 2.38. Because if I were to say, like verse number 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. That means because, right? Because Jesus, you need to focus on Jesus because he's been counted of more worthy, more glory than Moses. Read Acts 2.38 because the word for has two different meanings. Somebody read that one for me. Acts 2.38. All right. For the remission of sins. Does that mean because of? You need to be baptized because of the remission of sins. No. Right? Because you're not, you're not, you're not, you don't have the remission of sins until what? Until you're baptized. Right? That's the same word, ace. It means unto. So be baptized Unto the remission of sins. Now, back to Hebrews chapter 3. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Ace a testimony. Unto a testimony to the things that were spoke to be spoken later. This isn't something that Moses did. It was something that Moses became. Why? Because of what he had gone through. The suffering that he had been through, Right? And so, this is something that because of what Moses went through, this is now his person. He is a testimony. Because when we look at Moses, what do we see? A man who suffered, who led a people, who was faithful even when it didn't make sense, and even when he messed up and he made mistakes, he was still faithful Right. But then he became a testimony. Just his, his, his life, just be, his, his person, yeah, right, just became a testimony. So look at these verses. Um, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 4. Somebody grab that one for me. Matthew 8, verse 4. Let's look at some of these times this word testify. It's actually the word, um, it's very similar to martyrdom or a martyr. 
The word is martyrian, okay? The Greek word martyrian, which means a martyr. Someone, If you die for your faith, you have been martyred, right? And then you're, you, ha, you become a testimony too, right? Because other people... In, in the first century, the Romans said that the blood of Christians is the seed of the gospel. Why? If you see people dying in the, in the Circus Maximus at the mouths of lions, and they're singing and happy, what's that mean for you? If you have a question, who are you going to look to? The Christians, right? I saw um, a church in Wetumpka. I don't know if it was the Wetumpka Church of Christ, or probably not. I don't know who it was. Um, a church in Wetumpka got some money because of the tornadoes, got some money from a gambling organization. And they turned the money back in. And somebody said, why would they ever do that? It's been in the hands of the devil long enough. And I said, well, that's true. That's true. However, think about the... the I mean, if you make a stand like that, where your church building's destroyed, and you need money to rebuild it, even though they're not preaching the truth as far as I can tell. You need money to rebuild this church building. Somebody walks in and hands you $50,000, whatever it was, I think it's $25,000. Somebody walks in and hands you $25,000. What's the temptation there? Just Thank you, sir. You got any more? Right? But instead, they took a stand and they gave it back. All right. So this idea of testimony... Matthew 8, verse 4. Did somebody read that one for me? Show yourself as a pre. Uh, uh, show yourself as a what? As a testimony, right? Matthew chapter 10 and verse 18. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness or testimony before them and the Gentiles. Alright? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. How was the testimony of Christ confirmed among the Corinthians? What, had, what was the testimony of Christ? He died. He lived. He died. was resurrected. Built a church. Gave the, new, gave the Holy Spirit, right? That's the testimony of Christ, the gospel. How was the gospel shown and confirmed in the Corinthians? They lived in Corinth, right? You remember how bad Corinth was? The, the testimony of Christ was, was shown in them, confirmed in them, right? Right, by their change of life. Exactly. All right, this is the last one we'll go to. First Timothy Chapter 2 and verse 6. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For, thi- for this I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now when the world talks about, te- when the religious world talks about, I gave my testimony, what do they mean? Right. Is that wrong? 
problem is, most of the time, they're talking about all the miracles that God has done, right? Um, I had a dislocated kneecap, and my preacher gave me a little piece of paper, and I put it in my wallet. And six weeks later, and after extensive rehabilitation, I can move my knee now, right? Well, that's not a miracle, okay? But the Christians at Corinth were a living testimony of Christ. Not in that they, they had, they're going out and spreading all these ideas about miracles. It's that they had lived the way they used to and given today, right? And so we don't need to go around using the phrase because it's misunderstood so much. It's the same as any of the other phrases that are biblical and true, just so misunderstood that we stay away from them because we don't want to muddy the water anymore, right? We want to be as clear as we possibly can. But any person who has lived as a sinner and become a Christian, which is every Christian, right? Hopefully, if not, then there's a problem. (laughs) Otherwise, if you didn't have anything to repent for, then you didn't repent, all right? Anyways, why we don't need to baptize babies. All right, so if you've lived as a sinner and become a Christian, you have... What, what does 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1 say? You have completed, what was the word there? You have confirmed the testimony of Christ, right? So if you wanted to say, you know, I spread the testimony of Christ, that'd be fine. Anytime I preach about the death, burial, and resurrection in the gospel, I'm, I'm, I'm spreading the testimony of Christ. Anytime I talk about the way I used to be, okay. Next month I go from my 10-year anniversary, but it's really my 11th year anniversary because, well, anyways. So we're going for our 11-year anniversary, or reunion, sorry. 11-year reunion, and somebody said, you're going to come? And I said, yeah. And he said, good. I want to hear you talk. I was like, what in the world? He said, I, I know how you used to talk. Now I want to hear you talk now. It's like, well, that's... Yeah, I was a heathen. It's okay. You can admit it, okay? I was horrible back then. Anytime I tell about that, or if I, if I go next month, I, I'll be testifying. But we need to be very careful about how we use that term because so many people misunderstand it, right? So many people think that it's some kind of... You're telling all these miracles that God has done And when the Bible talks about it, it's specifically talking about what Jesus has done. The death, the burial, and the resurrection, and teachings of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, Moses, sorry, became a testimony. And Christ was faithful, verse number 6, over God's house as a son. We are his house if indeed we hold fast the confidence and are boasting in our hope. So Moses became a testimony, but Jesus became a bigger testimony, right? That's the point. He's not denigrating Moses at all. In fact, he's building Moses up, but he's saying, you look at Moses, and then you look at Christ, and you see Moses on steroids, as it were. He's, he's, his testimony is bigger. His house is bigger. His glory is bigger. So forth. Right, well, (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. It was, it was the house of God, but it wasn't the completed house of God. It's like you're living in the house while it's still under construction. Right, exactly. So he's not denigrating Moses. In fact, he never denigrates the Old Testament in this book. And that's something that I think Christians really need to focus in on, is that it can be dangerous for Christians because we don't follow the Old Testament for doctrine. It can be difficult for us to look at the Old Testament in the right eyes because we're so used today to fighting for we're so used to fighting the battle of stop trying to follow the Old Testament, just follow the New Testament, stop trying to follow the Old Testament. That because then we start thinking less of the Old Testament. And what the Hebrews writer is doing is he's building up the Old Testament and saying, but look at what we have now. Right? He's not denigrating it at all. He's building it up and saying, look how great it was. Now look at what we have now. Right? So, all right. So that's, uh, go ahead. Right. Right. So Jesus, Moses is the servant. Jesus is the owner. Right? All right. So next week we'll tackle chapter 3, 7 through the rest of the chapter. Um, so you can go ahead and read that passage. I'm not giving you homework because we got Fisher's Men and y'all are already complaining about your homework. We haven't even made it a week yet. Sorry. Right. I, I, I didn't finish mine on the right days.